Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. As we conclude our study in the book of James, we're in James chapter 5 as Elder Mike Miller brings his message, Living Life as a Community. My name is Mike. I have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here at the church along with Dean Craig and Joel. Uh, and I say privilege because it really is a privilege. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, some of the other places that you'll see me around here is uh, worship team. Um, I'm blessed to spend a lot of time with Caleb, um, and he is just an extreme blessing on my life. And I love playing music and worshiping. It's su- super fun. The other part is I get to hang out with a lot of these guys down here in the youth group. Um, somehow they keep getting, I keep getting the invite. I'll accept it as long as I get it. So um, it's super fun. Uh, the last time I was up here, which was the only other time that I've preached, uh, I, I expressed that I love questions. Um, I really do love wrestling with tough questions. Um, sometimes it uh, can be exhausting, but I think wrestling with questions with people on your side is one of my favorite things to do because uh, it really grows people together closer. Um, so as Joel said, this is Probably, it's not probably. This is the last place I would ever want to be in this church. Um, But with that being said, Christine solved my problem for me yesterday. Um, She found a video that just, I need to change my mindset. So uh, I guess pro athletes, when they feel like I do, where your heart is racing and your palms start sweating and you just want to run, uh, they feel like that's excitement. So, with that being said, no shocking to anyone here, I am not a pro athlete, and this is pure nerves, so that is what it is. With that being said, um, I do have excitement for the book of James. Um, It is just an amazing book uh, full of wisdom, and Joel and Dan have done a fantastic job uh, to get us to chapter 5. With that said, uh, I'm going to speak for Joel and Dan and anyone who stands at this pulpit, what we can actually express here at this sermon uh, barely scratches the surface of the depth and breadth of this book that we're studying. Um, so with that being said, I hope and pray that you guys are out learning and studying this with, uh, right along with us. So with that being said, let's go into the book of James. Um, so the book of James is broken up into three different sections. Sorry. Chapter 5 is broken up into three different sections, which we'll kind of work through. James is going to give us some examples and some encouragement to reflect on. But I'd like to start with just verse 11. So uh, if you're able, could you please stand and we'll read verse 11. Verse 11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. 
Lord, I, I thank you that we get to gather here today. I thank you for this group of people. Uh, I thank you that I get to call them my church family. Um, I pray that you'd be uh, with us, that um, you would speak to our hearts, and that I would just get out of your way and let your message come through. Uh, we just pray that you'd be with us for the rest of this time. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so a question for you. Is anyone here a fan of competitive cycling? I didn't think it would be, I'm not either, but most people do know about a race called the Tour de France. Uh, so that is a very popular race. Um, and I, I haven't watched a race from start to finish, but I've watched many of the highlights and it's kind of fun. But an interesting fact about competitive cycling, um, it is a team sport, but yet has one winner. So we all know Lance Armstrong, and he won a whole bunch and stuff, but he ran with a team. So what they do is these teams will come together, they'll, they'll submit this their team to this race, and they get accepted, and then the team looks at the riders in there, and they choose the rider that has the best chance of winning the race. Then all the other riders revert to a role that's called a domestique. Uh, so we're going to learn a word. It's not cool like what Joel teaches us, uh, but it's, I mean, I work on houses, you guys. This is, this is my area of expertise. So. so domestique is a French word that actually means servant. Uh, so these guys will now spend the rest of this race serving and protecting this lead rider, all within the point of trying to get him to win. So from this point forward, they'll spend time in the front deflecting wind because they're trying to get the lead rider to conserve their energy. They'll surround the lead rider when they're in tough areas to protect him. They'll put him on the best position of the road so that they get the fastest speed they can. They'll give him food and water. They'll even give up their own bikes if that rider loses their bike or has a mechanical issue. Their whole t the whole team becomes a, a, a gathering of people that are trying to motivate and lead this person to win. Towards the end of the race, a few of them will end up in a sprint, and they usually bring the lead with them, and they're trying to give them a one last boost of energy after an exhausting uh, race to get that person to win. All these riders on this team, they're riding the same grueling miles. They're there to help this guy pass the finish line. Their biggest job is support the team member. Even more interesting than that is that lead rider changes from race to race. They can come to another race and someone else may have a better chance of winning and so they'll support that guy. So every person on this, this team will change roles and support or lead and support and lead which in my mind, that very much reflects life. At times, I may need to be the lead writer and I may need to have support around me. Tomorrow, you may be it. The next day, maybe someone else and I get to support you. That's church. That's living life together as the hands and feet of Christ. So I think in James 5, uh, he gives us three different positions we can find ourselves in this race of life that we call. Uh, these positions come with warnings and encouragements. At times, we may find ourselves in front and need to be reminded to look around. At times, we may find ourselves that we're in the back and need to be reminded that it's temporary and we're not alone. Uh, 
Then at times, we're going to find that we're going to be riding side by side, and we should find strength in the community of those riders. So let's start with James, uh, the one, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosions will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in, in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. So my Bible, when I was studying, it has a header on the top which says it's a warning to the rich. Uh, I, but I think it's more of a warning to everyone. Um, it's not their wealth that's the issue, but it's the actions they took to attain it and their, what their hearts desired most. These people detained a lot of earthly wealth. Uh, James points out they have, that their garments are moth-eaten, their gold and silver have corroded, and the corrosion that this is will, will eat their flesh like fire. Clearly this wealth is temporary and can lead to death and destruction. He also points out that their love for these earthly things is so important that they're willing to steal and harm others to attain it. It says that the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, you kept back by fraud. They are crying out against you. They have been pushing people down and away to build themselves up. They're keeping the wages to themselves. They're taking advantage of others so that they can live in luxury and in self-indulgence. And then it says something that's a little bit odd or stands out a little bit. Um, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Um, James is intentionally pointing back to Jeremiah 12, 3, to which the Jews at this time would know very, very well. Now, we may not remember this section as well. So quick, brief overcap, recap of what Jeremiah is. So Jeremiah was a priest slash prophet of the Israelites. And during this stretch in the Israelites' history, um, they, yet again, they were just making poor decisions. Um, they were worshiping God and then turning around and worshiping a lot of man-made gods. Uh, idolatry was a huge problem, to the point that they were even, even participating in child sacrifice. Jeremiah is speaking to Israelites who were turning away from God. Let's read this poem from Jeremiah 12. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? You plant them and take root. And they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn? and the grass of every field wither. For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away, because they said, he will not see our latter end. So can you see the connection there? It's interesting that the time frame, that in this time frame, the Israelites 
had the Lord near their mouth, but far from their heart. The people James are talking to also does not have Jesus near their hearts. Their hearts seek a God of material and temporary things, idolatry. They have pushed people away by hurting them to attain what they need, what they think they need most. In the world's eyes, these, these guys are out in front of the pack. But because they are hurting people to get to this position, they will eventually lose. Life is not meant to be raced alone, so look around and find people to race along with. You can be a part of the community from the front. We see it in the story that their wealth is not the issue, but their hearts. Use your time, your ability, your wealth, and anything else that you have been blessed with to help others. Be an example of what it looks like to ride domestique for someone, because often when you're in front, you are very, very visible. Before we move on to the next section, I want to point out one more thing that James lays out here. Uh, James points out to the, that the Lord of hosts hears the cry of the harvesters, and then he ends it with talking about the murder of the righteous person. This righteous person could be translated also as the righteous one who does not resist them. Many believe that this righteous person slash one is referring to Jesus who does not resist. I think James is reminding us that the Lord is there both for the oppressed and also the oppressor. Okay, so we know that if we find ourselves out front, we need to remember to look around. Uh, now we're going to look at the sec next section, which is going to kind of show what we should be doing when we find ourselves in the back. So verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, look, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any oath. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Patience in suffering. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, in this section, James is speaking to those who are struggling. James is back to speaking to his brothers and sisters as he calls out to them directly four separate times. He tells them multiple times to be patient and to persevere or to be steadfast. I think most, most of us can relate to the desire to have our suffering end. And we lose patience in the process, yet we are called to remain patient. He also says, do not grumble against one another in verse 9. This is an area I can totally relate to. Uh, when you're suffering, it's easy to look at others and dismiss the struggles they have. Our vision gets blurred, and we can only see part of the picture. We focus on what we can see clearest, which is usually ourselves. 
and often the exact opposite of what we should be looking at. How quickly we can find ourselves in the judge's seat, but as Joel pointed out last week in James 4, we're not called to be the judge. We are to remain in the race right alongside our neighbor. Then he gives an example of Job, who lost all of his kids, all of his property, his health, and had quote-unquote friends telling him all the things he did wrong. Yet Job continued with patience in his suffering. He remained steadfast in his love for the Lord. He lived many years longing for his lost wife and child, children. He lived his life knowing his days were walking on this earth were numbered. And then you go back and you look at his actions and he continues to show his love for the Lord. So much so that at the end of the book, it shows that Job's prayer has saved his friends. His heartbreaking, in Job's heartbreaking pain and loss, he still longs for his friends. His friends may not even know it, but he was writing domestique for them. So when we are suffering, it can be hard to stay with the pack or even in the race. Sometimes our vision can be blurry and we can't even see the pack. This can often lead to feeling forgotten, defeated, but we should be like Job who spent years struggling in a position behind his friends, yet he continued to try to support them. When we remember that this is temporary and we find someone else nearby that we can ride Dominique for, maybe it's just a phone call or a text of support, but the moment we focus on that blurry part of the picture, the clearer it will get. So remember it is temporary and you're not alone. Okay, so remember, if we're in the front of the pack, we need to look around. If you're in the back of the pack, this is temporary and you're not alone. Now to the position that we probably find ourselves in most of the time, which is side by side in the middle of the pack and the important role that we have here. Let's read 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed." The prayer of, the, of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save, the, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This section is speaking straight to the church, the scattered believers in James's day and those of us here today. Maybe you're not suffering and you don't find yourself way out in front, but you still play a crucial role. This is what we're called to do. We pray together when one of us is suffering. We sing praise when someone is cheerful. And when someone is sick, or another translation is weak, we pray over that person because it says, 
a prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. An example is Elijah, prayed and stopped the rain for three years and six months. Then he prays again, heavens open up, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's look at one of Elijah's prayers in 1 Kings. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, or domestic, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah's prayer makes it very clear his deep love for the Lord, and he loves to be a domestique for the Lord. I think verses 19 and 20 in this section are very personal to James. Uh, James didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was at first. Um, James is almost mocking Jesus in John 7, where he tells Jesus to go to Judea and let everyone know where Jesus is and what he's doing. He tells Jesus to show himself to the world knowing it would most likely get him arrested and killed. But Jesus kept pursuing James. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a breakdown of the days after Jesus' resurrection. And he only names two singular people. All the rest are groups. It says Jesus appeared to Cephas, also known as Simon Peter, then the twelve, then five hundred brothers, then to James and then all to the the rest of the apostles. Can you imagine being in that room during that conversation? James James and Jesus are having right here. James went from doubting and rejecting Jesus to describing himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus pursued James, which then made James pursue those who were wandering, and he's asking us to continue that pursuit. One of the greatest ways that we can pursue people is to care for them, is to listen, encourage, and to love them. This is a big, big calling. It's too big for us to do by ourselves all on our own. But as we've seen through the book of James, we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, and we have each other. We are called to live together to pray for each other, to celebrate with each other. We have writers alongside of us so that we can ask help. And to have someone nearby is to survive the battles this race of life will throw at us. We should look to ride domestique for someone from time to time. And we should also know it's okay to ask for the support. So my question for all of us here today is, are you in the race? If you're not not riding with a team, you're not meant to be alone. There's a better way. We all have different roles depending on the landscape that life puts in our way, and the roles will change from time to time. If you find yourself out front, don't forget to look around and find someone to ride with. If you find yourself in the back, uh, remember it's temporary and that you're not alone. If you're in the pack, look next to you. There's strength in the community, and I'd be absolutely honored to ride domestique for anyone. And I know. (sighs) 
Well, I made it all the way to the very end. <laughs> Did better than when I spoke to the youth group. I made it five seconds in there. Um, I would be honored to write it, but I know there's many here that would do the same. My hope. Three sentences. Three sentences. <laughs> My hope and prayer is that we would be a church that lives life together to pray for each other, to celebrate, and that loves each other. Okay. We made it. Good job, guys. Okay, now for the, the easy part, supposedly. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to close in prayer. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for being here today. Thank you for loving and supporting all of you. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to have to worship Lord, I pray that we would be a community that, that yearns to love each other, that yearns to support each other, that yearns to live life with each other. I pray that you would just continue to bless our time as we continue to worship you, and that as we go through this week, that we would continue to study your word. As I said, I just barely scratched the service of Jane 5, and I pray that we would be driven to your word. Lord, we thank you for all you do for us. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.